All right. If you have your Bible with you, open up to 2 Samuel. I almost said 1 Samuel. Open to 2 Samuel chapter 1. 2 Samuel chapter 1. We have been studying through the Old Testament. We completed 1 Samuel the last time we met together. And uh, we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 1 this evening. I know last time we met together, um, before I was, went to Israel, we covered the first 16 verses of 2 Samuel chapter 1. But when we did that, we did it from Saul's perspective. And we're going to kind of go back and we're going to recover those verses, but this time we're going to look at it from David's perspective. So we saw it from Saul's perspective, and we talked about how Saul was destroyed or finally killed by an Amalekite, and how he had been told previously 25 years earlier that he was to wipe out the Amalekites. He failed to carry out God's command to bring the judgment of God on the nation, or on the group called the Amalekites, and uh, it actually cost him his life and his reign and his, uh, in the kingdom. So as we pick up in 1 2 Samuel this evening, we're going to see it from David's perspective. In the book of 2 Samuel, we're going to see a couple of things. We're going to see David's triumph in the beginning of it. He's going to uh, become the king of Judah and eventually the king over all Israel. And then about the middle of the book, we're going to see David's tragedy take place. We're going to see sin enter David's life, some major sin and some really bad decisions. And then by the end of 2 Samuel, we're going to see David's trouble. We're going to see a lot of trouble that comes upon his life. And uh, just as a reminder, remember, David is a man after God's own heart. And uh, he has been called that, and he's been considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest, king of Israel. And uh, we have the privilege of studying through his life here in 2 Samuel. And I really like this part of the scripture, because it's almost like doing case studies. You know what a case study is? When you take a look at something, and you look at it and say, all right, what was the good about this? What was the bad? What were the successes? What were the failures? And it's a really good way to evaluate what somebody or something or a business or anything like that, it's a good way to learn. And when we come through 2 Samuel, we're going to see that's kind of like doing a case study of David's life. And we're going to see some things, and we're going to learn some things. We're going to, you know, and I love the Bible. It doesn't always portray just good things. We're going to see some bad things in David's life, and we're going to be able to have a chance to learn from those as well. And we will see that David is a man after God's own heart, and we're going to see that in our chapter this, morning, this evening, chapter 1. Um, so if you would, read, read along with me the first few verses, and then we're going to kind of come back to them. 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziglag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Before we go any further, I want you to notice where David is. He's in Ziglag. He's in Ziglag. And you might think, well, that really doesn't mean anything to me, Rob. What does that mean? Well, Ziglag wasn't in the nation of Israel. Ziglag was in the Philistine territory. Well, how did the king of Israel or the future king of Israel get all the way over into the Philistine territory? Remember, David's had a rough go at it so far. Remember, he was promised 14 or 15 years earlier that he would be the king of Israel. But in the meantime, Saul was on the throne. And Saul's son, Jonathan, and David and Jonathan built this incredible friendship But Saul, you know, David had some success in battle. We know that he killed Goliath. They wrote a song about him. David, Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his tens of thousands. And it wasn't long before Saul got jealous of his servant, David. 
You see, David never had any animosity towards Saul. He was always there to serve Saul. He was always there to come alongside of Saul. He was always there to help Saul. But Saul, in his mind, it got warped, it got twisted, and he thought David was out to take the throne from him. And before you know it, Saul's trying to kill David. He's thrown the spear at him. He's tried to kill him a couple of times. He chases David through the wilderness. And finally, after about 12 years or so, David says, I've had enough. I've had enough. Remember, David had a chance to kill Saul twice that we read of in the scriptures. And both times he let him go because he said, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. I will not take my hand and raise it against the man that the Lord has made king. I will not remove him from office. If God wants him out of office, if God wants another king of Israel, then God's going to have to remove him. And so, so David finally says, I've had it. And he leaves the nation of Israel and he goes over across to Ziglag and he moves in with the Philistines. And he spends a couple of years there and the longer he's with the Philistines, the more he becomes like them. And pretty soon the Philistines are doing battle. They decide they're going to, they're going to do battle against the nation of Israel. So much so that David decides, you know what, I'm gonna join the Philistines. I'm gonna do battle with them. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be on their side. And he lines up for battle and the Philistine, the five kings, see David and his men. And what do they say? We don't want him on our side. He's Saul's servant. He's Saul. we, we don't want him here. They send David home. Now he's, now he's a man without a country. He's got a following of about 600 men. But the Philistines don't want him. He's left the nation Israel. He goes home. And what happens when he gets back to Ziglag? All of his family's gone. The Amalekites have come up. They've destroyed the city of Ziglag. They've taken all the family. They've taken all the men's stuff. They've taken everything. And it was a turning point in David's life. Because we read that David, at that point, it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. It's when he realized, I've been on the wrong track. I've got to do something different. How did I get in this place of living with the enemy? And he strengthened himself in the Lord. And, the Lord, and he said to the Lord, Lord, what do I do now? And the Lord said, go, go after the Amalekites. And he finds the servant that had been left the dead. He, they tell him where he is. He goes after the Amalekites. He gets all of his stuff back, all of his men's stuff, all of his family, his, his families, his, their children. He brings everything back home to Ziglag. And now he's been in Ziglag three days, just getting right with God, so you can say. You ever been that way, away from God for a while? And you realize, I, I, I gotta get back. I gotta get strength in the Lord. David does that. He realizes, I'm, I'm off track here. He strengthens himself in the Lord. The Lord provides him all that was taken from him back. But now he's trying to figure out what to do next. And all of a sudden we read this morning, on the third day, behold, it happened, or this evening rather, on the third day, behold, it happened, a man came from Saul's camp, his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. Hey, they didn't have email. They didn't have texting. The way they got messages back and forth was they had a messenger, which means he was a runner. If you were a fast runner, you could be a messenger. You were gonna carry a message from one place to the next. And here's the man, he comes into the camp, he falls down on his face, he's probably tired. He's probably, he's, if we're gonna find out that he was with Saul and Jonathan, they, they, they were on Mount Gilboa when they were killed. So what we're gonna find is he's tired, he falls down on his face. And David says to him, where are you from? Where have you come from? And he says to him at the end of verse three, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David, certainly wanting to know what's going on, says, how did the matter go? How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, it's not good, David. The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan and his son are dead also. So David says to the young man who, who told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan and his son are dead? How do you know this? How do you know this? And the young man told 
who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and he called to me. And I answered him and I said, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, please stand over me and kill me for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and I killed him because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and have brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and he tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. So let me get your attention. What's taking place is this man, this messenger comes into the camp and he comes into Ziglag and he tells David, hey, listen, I've got bad news for you. Saul and Jonathan are dead. I just came from Mount Gilboa. Those of us that were in Israel know where that is. The backside of Gideon's spring was on Mount Gilboa. We were just there. We saw it. We saw the, the Valley of Megiddo as it runs past Mount Gilboa. Gilboa. We, we were just, we drove through it. So they get there and they, they, they're, the, the man's exhausted and he tells David, listen, I've got bad news. Saul and Jonathan, they're dead. They're dead. They're not here. Now, I have to pause just for a second because if you're familiar with the scripture or you're with us, you know at the end of at the end of 1 Samuel, verse chapter 30, it says that Saul fell on his spear and he died. So now here comes this young man, here comes this man saying that he actually found Saul on his spear and Saul was still alive. So there's two possibilities here. Some people actually believe that Saul fell on his spear and he wasn't actually dead. And because the, the enemy was approaching, he asked this man to kill him. That's certainly a possibility. Other people believe that this man is, is just a liar that he came across Saul's body. Saul was already dead, as, he, as it said in, in uh, chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, and he simply just stripped his body or took the crown and the bracelet off his hand. Either way, it's up, it's, you can pick which one you want to believe. Either way, it doesn't really make a difference. But what we see is he's coming to David, and he's bringing this stuff with him, and David is going to mourn about this, but we have to stop and say, why is he there? Why is he bringing, why, why did he come to David? He's an Amalekite. Why is he coming after David? Well, some people believe that he's trying to gain favor with David. Because you would think that everybody knew that Saul was pursuing David. It was pretty common knowledge that Saul was trying to kill David. It was pretty common knowledge when the army of Israel moved from place to place through the hills seeking out David that what was going on. So there's a belief and there's a possibility that he was coming to David with the expectation of being hailed as a hero because he would be the one that would have destroyed David's enemy. He may have been lying when he came. Saul may have already been dead or he may have actually been the one that killed Saul. So is he telling the truth or a lie? We're not for sure on that. We're not completely for sure. But I like David's response. Notice what he does when David, David says this. David took hold of his own clothes in verse 11. He tore them. So did all the men who were with him. That wasn't the response that he was expecting. What do you think he was expecting? I personally think he was expecting good job for killing my enemy. After all, if anybody had a right to be bitter about Saul, wouldn't it be David? I mean, think about what Saul had taken from David. 
He took his home. He took his family. He took his friends. He took his livelihood. He's been on the run for 15 years. He's made him a fugitive. He's chased him through the wilderness. If anybody has a right to be mad at somebody, if anybody has a right to be bitter, it would be David to be bitter towards Saul. But I want you to notice something. He's not bitter at all. He's not bitter. He's not bitter at all. Instead, what we find is we see David mourning for the death of Saul. We see David actually mourning over it. He, he's mourning, and it says that he mourned until evening. They mourned for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. I believe the young man came to David looking for a reward, looking for money, looking for recognition. Look what I've done. I've killed your nemesis, David. What do I get in return? And I think he's a little shocked when David rips his clothes and starts mourning. I think he's taken a little bit off guard by it. Because in that situation, can't you see why David would be bitter towards Saul? Have you ever had anybody wrong you? You ever anybody treat you the way that you shouldn't be treated? Maybe it's a husband, a wife, a spouse, whatever it is. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a family member, who, a friend has been, whatever it is. If you've lived on this earth long enough, you've been wronged by somebody, right? And it doesn't take long for most of us to get bitter towards somebody, does it? As a matter of fact, we can carry that bitterness around for quite some time, can't we? Sometimes we'll carry it all the way to our deathbed. We can be bitter. But I want to tell you something. With bitterness comes bondage. With forgiveness comes freedom. Okay? With bitterness comes bondage. With forgiveness comes freedom. David is choosing to live in the freedom of forgiveness rather than the bitterness of bondage. And even the people around him, I believe, would have expected him to be bitter. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes if somebody wrongs me or somebody wrongs my family, I can find myself get bitter pretty quick. When we get bitter, what do we say? Things come out of our mouth that shouldn't. Our attitude gets bad. We drop our head. We start shaking our fist. We, we're going to get even. We're going to make it right. How dare them affect me? How dare them treat me that way? Listen, none of us have been treated like David, I don't think. I don't think any of us have gone through that where we've lost everything, where we've joined, I mean, completely lost everything to where he's, he's in enemy territory trying to figure out what to do next. We're gonna see this evening that D David chooses to live in that freedom of forgiveness. That's what makes him a man after God's own heart. Instead of, instead of that bondage of bitterness. Instead of that bondage of bitterness. David had every right to be bitter towards Saul. He had every right to hate Saul. He had every right to never forgive Saul for what he had done to his life. He had every right to be bitter and he chose not to. That's what we're gonna see. And I want you to take this away. Bitterness, unforgiveness, it's all a choice in your life. It's all a choice. Our hatred, our bitterness, our unforgiveness towards others is a choice that we choose. You say, wait a minute, Rob, what if I've really been wrong? It's still a choice. You can choose to forgive or you can choose to be bitter about it. Now, when David hears the news about Saul, I want you to, if you're taking notes, jot this down. David's not thinking about himself. What does he immediately do? He starts to mourn. What would somebody thinking about themselves do? Wait a minute, Saul's gone. I'm supposed to be the next king of Israel. Guess my time's finally here. All right, come on guys, let's get on up to Israel and take my position on the throne. Let's go. But that's not what he's doing. He's not thinking about himself. He's, he's not thinking about being king. He's not thinking about what's, what's happening next. He's thinking about other people. He's thinking about Saul. 
who we would call his enemy, who he's going to call his friend. He's thinking about Saul. He's thinking about it through, through the eyes of forgiveness. Listen, it's awfully hard sometimes as Christians, but we need to learn to not look at things in our life through the eyes of how does that affect me? How does it affect me? You see, we have a tendency as human beings to look at everything from that perspective. What's in it for me? How does it affect me? This good, this bad. How's it? If it's going to affect me bad, I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, is there something good in this for me? Oh, I can make a little money out. Oh, it's going to make me feel good. Oh, I'm all in. Let's go. You see, I want you to understand that David, being called a man after God's own heart, when he comes to this place in his life, his life is devastated. It's desolate. He's not even in the country that he's supposed to be the king of. But yet his heart is still choosing to forgive Saul and his heart is still choosing to mourn for Saul and his friend, Jonathan. He's not thinking about himself. Now look what he says. David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? He says, where are you from? Where are you from? And the young man answered, I am the son of an alien. I'm an Amalekite. Now you can imagine the young man is expecting his reward. This is where, this is, he wants to know where I'm from. This is good news. He knows where to send the check to. Now I know where he can, he can mail the riches to me. This is, I'm gonna get paid back for, for finally taking out Saul. He says to the young man, where are you from? He says, I'm, I'm an Amalekite. I'm an Amalekite. Look at verse 14. So David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? How is it that you're not afraid to destroy the Lord's anointed? How is it that you were not afraid to reach out your hand and chop off the head of the Lord's anointed king? You could hear the excuses. Well, but he was already dying. But he, he, was, he was already on his sword. But, but, but you see, if in fact that this man was a liar, if in fact he was making it up, there's a lesson there for us as well. If you're gonna promote yourself through lies, it's never gonna work out very well for you. We're gonna find in his case, it doesn't work out well at all. Promoting yourself through lies is never a good thing. Promoting yourself through exaggeration, through those things that, well, I'm just gonna exaggerate a little bit. No, no. Promote yourself. Don't promote yourself at all. Let God promote you. We don't have to promote ourselves. We don't have to make ourselves look good. We don't have to do that. Let the Lord be the one that worries about our reputation. Let the Lord be the one that handles those kinds of things in our life. Don't worry about what people say about you. Don't worry about what your image is. You just be faithful to what the Lord calls you to do and be obedient to him. Let him handle all the outside stuff. You see this young man right there about this point. He went from being excited to, I think his face dropped. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How is it that, how is it that I'm not afraid to stretch out my hand again? Uh, well, David, I thought, that, I thought that he was your enemy and I thought that he'd been chasing you and trying to kill you for 14 years and I thought that I would take care of your problem for you. I thought, and you can hear the excuses starting to come. Things aren't working out the way that he wanted to. So if in fact he was lying, now what does he do? He certainly can't tell David that he lied. He certainly can't say that. Look what David says. Look what David does. And David called in verse 15, one of the young men and said, go near, execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, your blood is on your own head for your own mouth has testified against you saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Do you see David's respect for what God does? 
When God puts somebody in office like King Saul, David's not remembering all the bad things about King Saul. He's not, he's not saying, well, he really deserved it. Think about your life. The person who comes against you. Isn't there that little sense of like, when you see something bad happen, that, yeah, they deserve it. Yeah, good, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's the way we are as human beings, right? You just wanna, what comes around goes around. They got theirs, all right. That's not the way David's heart is. Remember, David has a heart after God. David says to the young man, I don't care if he had fallen on his sword. I don't care if he had one more breath in his lungs. How dare you raise your hand to what God has done? If he's not supposed to be king of Israel, let God remove him. How dare you do that? And he chops him up, kills him, just like that. You gotta love the Old Testament, right? No bones about it. That's it, done. Testify saying, and he says, by your own words, you've testified that you've killed the Lord's anointed. Now, I wanna read the next couple of verses for you. This is a song of the bow. It starts in verse 17. It says this. Then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it was written in the book of Jasher. Now, some people might say, wait a minute, where's the book of Jasher? Is that, is that in my Bible somewhere? No, we don't have the book of Jasher. It's, it's not around. You say, well, there's a book missing out of the Bible. Not necessarily. There's nothing missing. If God wanted us to have the book of Jasher, then we would have the book of Jasher, but we don't have it. But we do have part of it because David wrote part of it here. So let's see what he writes. He says, the beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. Does it sound like he's bitter towards Saul when you read that? He's not bitter at all. He's recognizing what Saul has done right. He's not even recognizing what Saul had done wrong. He's not, he, his mind isn't, the, he doesn't have the mindset of saying, yeah, he got what he deserved. I knew I'd be king somebody. Just had to get him out of the way. All right, Lord, thanks for taking care of him. Now it's my time now. My time, me time. Now let's go. It's not his heart at all. You see, David's heart is broken because the Lord's anointed has been taken down. And he realizes whenever the Lord's anointed falls, it's a devastation, it's a tragedy to everyone. He says, We're not going to, we're not going to whisper, we're not going to tell this to the Philistines. We're not going to proclaim it. We're going to keep it quiet although they would already know about it. Mountains of Gilboa, he pronounces a curse on them. He talks about them being mighty. He talks about them being pleasant in their lives. They're swifter than eagles. They're stronger than lions. Is that how you would describe your enemy? Is that how you would describe the person that 
comes against you, the person that hurts you, the person that's taken something from you, the person that's, that sets you in a place or puts you in a position of difficulty, is that how you would describe them or do you, do you tend to be more bitter about it? Do you tend to be, I'm gonna hold it against them, I'm, I'm not letting go? You see, I, I really believe that we have a choice as Christians. Bitterness is a part of life. We're all gonna have an opportunity to be bitter at some point in our life, but we have a choice. Do we wanna live in the bondage of bitterness or do we wanna live in the freedom of forgiveness? And we see that David has made that choice. David's saying, I don't wanna live in the bondage of bitterness. I've strengthened myself in the Lord. I wanna live in the freedom of forgiveness. You say, wait a minute, Rob. How did David stay out of that bondage of bitterness? How is it that he, how did he keep from being bitter? I mean, all that happened to him, all the, you know, you talked about his family being taken away. He lost his home. His wife was taken away. You know, his, every, his, the city he was living in was just burned. He was driven over to the enemy. His livelihood, 15 years of his life. Maybe you've had a portion of your life taken away by somebody. And you want to be bitter at them. It's not fair. They've taken part of this. David had 15 years of his life taken. Some scholars would say as much as 20 years. It's taken away from him. He was on the run as a fugitive when he did nothing wrong. He never did anything wrong. It was all false accusations that Saul was believing. He had done nothing wrong in all this. If anybody could be bitter, it would be him. But instead, we see through this song, he's choosing to live in forgiveness. So how do we keep from getting bitter? How do we keep from it? I'm going to suggest to you a couple of ways, looking at the life of David. Number one, I want to tell you that he strengthened himself in the Lord. Back in chapter 30, verse 6, it says, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And what that means is that he strengthened himself in the Lord's ways. He was going to take a life and he was going to look at it through God's eyes, not his eyes. He wasn't going to be focusing on his circumstance. He was going to be focusing on his God. He was going to be able to see, God, whatever's happening, whatever I, I'm doing. Remember, he's in Ziglag. He just got his family. When he, by the, when he says that, when he strengthened himself in the Lord, his family had been taken away from him. The city had been burned. And he goes to the Lord and says, Lord, I believe there was a heart of repentance there. He says, Lord, forgive me. I don't know how I got here with the enemy, but I need to strengthen myself in you. And I believe he did that through, through prayer, through remembering the word of God. I believe he did that, and he strengthens himself. He didn't rely on his circumstance for strength. He didn't rely on his circumstance for happiness. He didn't rely on his circumstance for the joy or for the fulfillment in his life. Remember, if we were on the outside and we are looking in, what we see from David at this point in his life, it's a wreck. How'd you get there, David? You're living with the enemy. But yet he still has a heart of forgiveness towards Saul. He strengthened himself in the Lord. Number two, how do you keep from being bitter? David trusted in God. And let me tell you what I mean by that. David knew his life was in the hands of God, the God who created him, not in the hands of his circumstance, nor in the hands of the one that is chasing him. Saul did not hold David's life in his hand. The person that you're bitter at or you have been bitter at does not hold your life in their hand. God does. But you can give them a big part of your life if you will remain bitter. God has to be the one that holds my life. God has to be the, whose hands that I'm in. If I'm in looking at my circumstance and I'm looking at, if David was looking at Saul, all he would do would be complaining to Saul, but he didn't, he looked to God. He said, God, I am not skilled to understand, like we sang this earlier, what God has willed and what God has planned. 
I only know that at his right hand sits my Savior. Now, he didn't have that song, but we do today. And it fits good. Because when we look at our circumstance, you take your eyes off God. When you look at the person that's wronged you, the person that's hurt you, the person that's come against you, you're not focusing on the Lord. You see, David's able to say, listen, I don't like this. I'm not happy that my life is this way. I'm not happy that I'm at the enemies, that I've lost my wife. I'm not happy that I've lost all this stuff. But he chose to strengthen himself in God. He chose to, chose to trust in God and say, God, what do you want me to do from here? And then that's when the Lord said, David, go get your family. Go after the Amalekites. Go get them. And he did, and he got everything back. And he's still in Ziglag. And now he finds out the king of Israel, Saul, and perhaps his best friend in the whole world, Jonathan, have been killed. Now, one other way David can stay free from bitterness. He strengthened himself in the Lord. because He trusted in God. He also knew that the outcome of his life was in God's hands and not in his accuser's hands. He knew that the outcome of his life wasn't in the hands of the person who wronged him, that it belonged to God. You see, sometimes in life we can be wronged and we can find ourselves bitter. And do you know when you do that, your focus is on you and it's on the person who hurt you? Not on God. Not on God. You see, when you understand that, that, that God is God and he's Lord over all things, you can come to a place where you say, Lord, I'm in a difficult situation in life. I find myself in a place where I didn't deserve to be where I didn't want to be, and I didn't even do anything to get myself here, but here I am. And it's a beautiful thing when you can look to the heavens and say, God, I know you're with me through this. I know you'll sustain me. I know you'll carry me through it. And you can give him glory for the situation that you're in, as opposed to looking at the things around you and the person who is pursuing you and chasing you and making your life bitter, that you can just block them out and say, my eyes are focused on the Lord not on my situation, not on my circumstance. David understood that God was Lord over all, and he understood that God was Lord over Saul as well. God is not only Lord over all, he's Lord over the person who was persecuting him. He's Lord over the person who was, matter of fact, did, did the Lord let David get killed? No, he protected him. Think about that. Think about how ironic that is. The entire army of Israel was chasing David and his 600 men. Everybody was chasing him. You don't think that Saul had put word out that if anybody can bring me the head of David, they can have my other daughters. They can have this. They're going to have no taxes. There's gonna, you don't think those, those, that, that was, there was a contract on his life? Of course there was. And the Lord didn't ever stop protecting David. And you know that he won't stop protecting you either. He's not going to stop protecting you. But I want you to understand something tonight. The work of the Lord in your life can be hindered because you cling to bitterness. The work that God wants to do in your life will be hindered if you choose to remain bitter as opposed to forgiving. Think about that. If I have been wronged in some way and I'm going to remain bitter at whoever it is that wronged me, do you understand the consequences of that? God is saying, I want you to forgive that person. I want you to forgive them. It doesn't mean you're going to forget. It doesn't mean you're never going to remember. It doesn't mean those scars don't remain. It doesn't mean that, that, that it just goes away and, oh, woo, woo, you know, kumbaya, we don't remember it ever again. That's not it at all. But we can come to a place as believers where we forgive them. 
And we no longer hold it against them. And we release that bitterness in our heart and we, allow it and, we, and we take up that freedom of forgiveness and we're able to walk that way. Because understand the consequences if you don't. I'm gonna hinder the work that God's doing. And I know, I know what people say. Wait a minute, Rob, you don't understand. I've been hurt really, really bad and I'm holding on to this thing and, and I, I don't know if I can forgive. Yes, you can. Forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision you make in your heart. You have to wanna forgive. The question is, can I forgive? The question is, do you want to forgive? Well, well, uh, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this bitterness with me to the grave. Really? What does that accomplish? If you just take, hold it with you for the rest of your life, I'm, gonna, I'm never going to be in bitterness. That's it, I'm bitter. You ever met a bitter person? You know right away, don't you? It doesn't take long to find out they're bitter. I'm, 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 no, well, all right, well, I won't take it to the grave. Uh, someday, someday I'll, someday I'll get over this bitterness. I, I'm just not there yet. What are you waiting for? If you can choose to get over it someday, why don't you want to get over it today? Well, give me five years. Really? I don't want what God wants for me today. I want it in five years. You know, we had an interesting statistic come out in the nation Israel. We looked at the, we're in, the, we're in Israel, the promised land, the promised land. Somebody asked a question, how big was the promised land? How big was it? 300,000 square miles was the size of the promised land. 300,000 square miles. And the next question came, what's the most land that Israel ever occupied? How, how much, at their greatest, at their largest, the biggest they ever were, how much did they occupy? 30,000 square miles, 10%. They took 10% of what God had given them. Think about that for a minute, 10%. God says, I'm giving you all of this. We only want this much, that's enough. Because they couldn't see. They thought that 10% was huge. They thought, this is amazing. This is great. We got, look at all the land we've got. God said, no, no, I want you to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. I want you to push them all back, get rid of them all. I want you to have all of this for the nation of Israel. Can you imagine what the world would look like today if the nation of Israel owned the Middle East? Which is what they were supposed to have. Be a different place over there, wouldn't it? Who would be the number one oil producer in the world? Israel. But they never took what God had for them. As Christians, if we choose to live in that bondage of bitterness, we're essentially saying to God, you know what, God? I don't want what you have for me. I'm happy here. I just want to stay bitter. I just want to stay miserable. I'll get over it someday, God, but, but I'm not ready for that yet. Is that really the way that we want to live? Have you ever been bitter at somebody, you ever had somebody wronged you and then you choose to forgive them? It's like the weight comes off your shoulder. It's like the weight's lifted. I, and you know what the crazy thing is? The person that you're mad at doesn't affect them at all. It doesn't affect them one bit. They're off doing their own thing by now or doing their own thing, whatever. They're not even thinking about it. You're the one that can carry that weight. David, when I read chapter one of 2 Samuel, I can see, David, you should be bitter. You should be mad. You should be praising God that Saul's dead. Now you get your chances being king. And then I'm humbly put into my place that says, no. Look at the man after God's own heart. He's not thinking about himself. He's not looking at things through his own eyes. He's looking at things through God's eyes. And the man that God ordained king has, been, has fallen. And that affects everybody. When God's anointed fall, when God's anointed are removed, it affects everybody. 
And David is mourning that. He's not remembering the bad. He's remembering the good. So I want to close with this thought. If you're not bitter tonight, praise God. If you're not, if you're not in sitting here tonight situation where you've been wronged by somebody, praise the Lord. I hate to disappoint you, but it's coming. And you'll, have, you'll get tested on it later. But if you are here tonight and you are here bitter, and you're angry, those things, do you really want to live in the bondage of bitterness? Because that's what it is. Wouldn't it be better to go forward and leave this place in the freedom of forgiveness? Wouldn't that be a much better place? If for no other reason, because you know that you're, you're, you're keeping God from working in your life. Jesus said, if you want to be forgiven, what? Forgive others. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm not ready to do that. I think now is the time. If you're carrying bitterness or unforgiveness, I think tonight is the night. You're here sitting here for this message for a reason. There's a reason for it. There's a reason that you came tonight so that you could, God, God doesn't, you know, when we say to the Lord, Lord, show me something in your word. Show me something. When I begin to put together a message and I pray, Lord, show me something. What do you, what do the people, what do your people need to hear tonight? And he puts this on my heart about bitterness and he puts it on there about forgiveness. I know there's a reason for it. I want you to go, if you're, if you're that bitter person, you're that angry person, I want you to go before the Lord tonight. And I want you to leave it here. If there's somebody that's wronged you, maybe it's been 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many years ago. Maybe it's just last week. But I want you to choose to forgive them. And I want you to leave that weight of bitterness here in this place. And I want you to walk out of here free because you've chosen not to hold against them what they've done wrong. Because I'm gonna tell you a secret. They're gonna answer for it someday. You don't have to hold them to it. You don't have to be the one that punishes them. God will take care of that. They'll, they'll, they, they, will, they will answer for that someday. But if you're carrying that burden or you're carrying that anger, I want you to get rid of it tonight. I want you to just bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to pray to your God. I want you to pray to him just like he was here in the room. Just talk to him. Tell him what's going on. Tell him what the problem you're having. Tell him the unforgiveness. Tell him you're having a hard time forgiving. Ask him to help you. And before you say amen, I want you to make the decision that you're not, that you're not going to be bitter anymore. That you're not going to hold it against that person. Because I know this, God's got work for us to do while we're here. While we can look forward to ruling and reigning with Christ, we're all here for a reason. There's all work to be done for the kingdom. And we are hindering that work if we won't obey his word. It comes down to that. Do I want to obey the word of God or not? I don't know about you, but I do.